You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, our guest is Megan Parker. And Megan is the co-founder and executive director of Working Dogs for Conservation. And she's going to visit with us today about her organization and how they use detection dogs to benefit science and conservation. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Megan to the show. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Buster. You're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition, I guarantee it. Petco, where the healthy pets go. Enter the code WORK10, W-O-R-K, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum. At Petco.com. Whether they're big, small, hairy, or whatever, you're going to need gear for your feet. And Kids Foot Locker's got all the great shoes and gear that'll get you in the game. Go to KidsFootLocker.com. Enter the code AFWRK1KF to get 10% off any order of $50 or more. Or enter the code AFWRK2KF to get 15% off any order of $75 or more at KidsFootLocker.com. And cover those funky feet. Like your business to reach out and invite in our audience. We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20 second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. Is the best, most cost effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website petliferadio.com. Click on sponsorship information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available when you're looking to add a pet into your life consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group whether you want a kitten puppy or a more mature pet a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed even a rabbit or hamster your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere all screened for good health and behavior petliferadio.com presents take me home with your host susan daffron Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Megan, and welcome. Hi, thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, we're so glad you could join us today and, and tell us, what is Working Dogs for Conservation? <laughs> Working Dogs for Conservation is a small nonprofit organization. Um, we take rescued dogs, um, from typically from shelters, and train them in, to be uh, really highly trained, specialized detection dogs. We work on conservation and research projects around the world, but we're based in Montana. Wow. So are you mostly comprised of volunteers that do this? No, we're, um, we're all biologists. There's, there's four of us. We've just had someone else join us, and we're, we're growing a little bit. There'll be five of us. We're all scientists and dog trainers. And so we actually go out and handle our dogs um, on the projects that we, we work on. So right now, three of my partners are in California working on endangered species, everything from endangered kit fox to blunt-nosed leopard lizards. And we train our dogs to search usually for the scats of an animal, the fecal matter, the poop. And so we can do this non-invasively. So our dogs are out often looking for poop, looking for plants, or looking for live animals, but we don't harass the animals or we, and we don't touch the samples. So we can collect this information and get genetic um, or hormonal or diet information from the scats in this particular case. So we can... Um, for instance, right now, estimate the population size of this endangered kit fox without the kit fox ever necessarily knowing we're even there because our dogs do so well at finding kit fox poop and ignoring all the other poop out there on the landscape. That is so cool. And how did you guys come up with this idea to use dogs in this way? Well, you know, people have been working with their dogs ever since humans and dogs joined up thousands and thousands of years ago. And as all of us are scientists, we all know lots of biologists who have been out in the field, and us included, with our dogs doing field work and noticing that our dogs are really tuned in to what we're trying to look for. They kind of figure out what we're trying to look for and often help us. And there's lots of amazing stories of biologists out there looking for something and it's their dogs that alert to it. So we've just sort of taken it one step further kind of standing on the shoulders of a lot of great scientists and a lot of great dogs out there who've pushed forward science and conservation. In the mid-90s, I was working with a couple of people in the Washington area, and we really tried to formalize this. Um, One of them is the narcotics detection dog trainer. And so two biologists and 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 a very formal military detection dog trainer came together, and we really hammered out what it would look like to have formally, specially trained detection dogs working on conservation projects. And from there, the field has really started to grow. Well, that is just amazing. And how do you, so you said that you get your dogs from shelter programs. What's the process for how you get a dog and get them trained and ready to go out in the field? Well, like most working dogs, as opposed to a good pet dog, These dogs have so much drive, meaning they really, really have a lot of energy and a lot of focus for a particular thing. And we choose our dogs who have a lot of toy drive, meaning these are these obsessive, 
dogs who cannot stop fetching or can't stop tugging or have that wide-eyed look, and they're usually the most annoying dogs at anyone's barbecue. (laughs) Well, those, those dogs often don't make great pets for your average family and often end up in shelters. Just people realize after a certain length of time that this is just not the dog for them. They can't handle a dog with that much energy. And so we scour shelters for these dogs. We look for dogs by noticing we take a tennis ball, you walk down the aisle of a shelter bouncing a tennis ball, and look for which dog is looking at you and looking for that human attention that they crave and which dog, even though they're in jail, are working at the tennis ball and thinking, that's what I want. And so the dogs that keep their eyes focused on the tennis balls are the ones that we pull out and then do a lot of further testing to see if they would be appropriate for becoming a detection dog in the way that we work detection dogs. And understand that we we probably look at two or 3,000 dogs before we find one that will make it to the field for our work. We, we demand a lot from our dogs, meaning that they have to have a lot of focus. They have to maintain all of that crazy toy drive, even when there's a ton of distractions out there, squirrels and deer and livestock and kids on bikes and all of it. They have to stay so focused, work long days, work long miles, and still love what they do because, this, you know, at the end of the day, it's all a game for them. They just do what they're loving to do, and they get their toy when they find what they're supposed to find. Yeah, well, I was I was wondering how many dogs you had to look at before you could get dogs that would have the skills that you needed. So two to 3,000, how do you do that process? Do you have a group of folks that go to different shelters throughout the country? How does that work? Well, uh, it, it works a couple different ways. We search for our own dogs. Montana happens to be kind of a great place for it. There's Most of our dogs are from working lines. They're, you know, mixes, but they might have a lot of Labrador, Shepherd, Australian Shepherd, Border Collie, you know, kind of working line of breeds. And so Montana tends to have a lot of those in our shelters. We also have built up networks over time from rescue organizations, people who actually are up there looking for us in particular, knowing what kind of dogs we select for our detection work. And because we work off-leash, our dogs have to have that extra sort of focus and work ethic, even beyond, say, a police detection dog that can work on leash among distractions because they've got that, that leash attaching them to their handler. And so we get our dogs from all over. Most of them do come from shelters in Montana, and some of us prefer a particular breed, but because we all live with our working dogs and we have nine dogs among us, we also have to have that special combination of a dog that will fit in with our family. So (laughs) they're not in a kennel somewhere being the crazy dogs that uh, they are. They also have to work in with our families and our dog packs and all of that. So there's a a bit of a chemistry that needs to work out there, but we select mainly just for that crazy ball drive and the ability to focus in and work hard. Yeah, I was wondering how you have your current working dogs and how you bring in a new dog that you're that's in the training process. How do you do that to bring them into the pack and and do you have a training process before that you before you introduce the dogs to the other to the working dogs that you have the mature dogs it's actually I think it's a really interesting process and we've just taken on two new staff dogs one of them came from a shelter here in Bozeman Montana and one of them was sent to us by a woman who keeps her eye out for us in Georgia and so uh, she she happened to send a sort of a yellow lab 
who is just got the right temperament. We do a lot of testing once we have a dog in hand. And at the shelter, we'll do the tennis ball test, and then we'll do a number of other things to see if the dog really wants this job. And it can't be that the dog can do it. It has to be that the dog really wants to work and do this you know, this repetitive, interesting work and get their toy at the end of it. And then we take them into our homes and see how they how they do over time. Some dogs just decide, hey, I'd rather sleep on the couch, which is a wonderful thing. And then they've kind of chosen to be a pet rather than a working dog. So often many of us have more dogs than you would think. <laughs> but if they really still are keen to do work after being in a really nice home and having really good food and um, getting a thorough vet check, then we take them on after they've passed sort of our our testing process. Uh, they have sufficient drive and they, they can focus they do this work and they uh, can fit in with, you know, our particular living situations or pass among us and live with a number of us. Well, what kind of tasks do you teach the dogs to perform? Well, they learn to find uh, things by their nose. And, and even though all dogs have great noses, most of them don't know that this is something they need to do for, for uh, you know, for their toy. So we introduce something, whether it's bear poop or we work a lot on plants, on invasive plants, but they're taking over native ecosystems as well. And so we'll introduce them to a scent. And once they get that scent in their nose, they get their reward, their toy. And so once they're trained to do that, we make it more and more complicated for them. We hide that particular scent in more and more complex situations and teach them that they have to search for it and spend maybe longer and longer searching for it before that they can get the reward. They can't touch or destroy the sample. They have to sit next to it and show us exactly where it is without touching it. So their training becomes a little more complex and takes a little bit of time. Some dogs come to it really fast. Some dogs take a little more time. Um, we just kind of work with the personality of that dog as long as they show the aptitude and the really just happy, joyful desire to do this work. They'll get their reward, and that's when they, they get to join the staff. That's awesome. Well, it's so cool because what you're describing is you're training, basically you're training the dogs to be professional scientists, which is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't have the, um, the you know, fingers to seal the Ziploc bags when we pick up a sample. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to write the reports, right? They can collect exactly. the data, but they don't have to write the reports. Yeah, or that write is... the grants to support the work. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Even better. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is so amazing. Well, I know when I first heard about your program, I couldn't wait to hear exactly how the dogs worked because I, I know certainly firsthand the ability that canines have and it always amazes me but I had never really heard of them as using detection in this way and using them for conservation and for scientific tasks. Well it's a really beautiful fit you know we all know about narcotics dogs and bomb sniffing dogs and it's it's essentially the same thing just training a dog to a certain odor many of our dogs have you know almost 20 odors that they're trained to find so they work on everything from snow leopards to lizards to plants to bears, depending on what their job is at that particular time, or they can work on multiple species. But one of, as conservation biologists, the one thing we always run up against is really having a hard time finding good data, enough good data and enough samples. And because 
wide-ranging animals, endangered animals, nocturnal, subterranean, all of these things, camouflaged plants or plants that are really nasty but will go to seed by the time a person can identify it. Dogs can easily find those things over these, you know, wide areas. And so the dogs, in many cases, are the absolute perfect tool to get information to make a difference for conservation. If we know that there's a wolverine in this area, the management can change. Or if there's grizzly bears here, or if there's snow leopards among this other group of carnivores, or whatever it is, that can make a real difference. And it's usually the rare animal or the rare plant on the landscape that we really need to find out information from quickly. So dogs are dogs are a wonderful, wonderful tool. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it just provides a wealth of information, which is just it's really awe-inspiring to think about it. Yeah. yeah. Every, every day working with these dogs, we are always so impressed by what they, both their work ethic, you know, how hard they work and how pleased they are to do this job, and then just the information they come up with. They've really made some big differences. I know. I, I think about the impact that Whistle and my other assistance dogs have had on my life. And, and when I think about the impact that working dogs have on our society and our future and our past, it really is awe-inspiring. And it just blows me away every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, uh, it's also wonderful to see dogs working on a scientific project where people tend to have a bit of a bias against what they think dogs can do and what they think are appropriate tools or methods to use in science and to see them completely overwhelmed by how professional these dogs are and the dog teams that we put out there and then the kind of information they get. We just see people convert to um, understanding what dogs can do in a very short time. Yeah, yeah, and really starting to appreciate that, yeah. Well, this is so exciting, and I want to come back after these quick messages from our sponsors and let Megan talk with us about some of the projects that they're working on, um, both in Montana and throughout the world. So come right back after these quick messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash work, W-O-R-K, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. I play tennis because I love to, but inside, I want to win. Take away the court, the net, I might not be a player, but I'll always be a competitor. Lady Foot Locker understands that. Lady Foot Locker, the first to carry Adidas off-court shoes and the gear that goes with them. If you play your best, there's no regret. Lady Foot Locker, one place, every woman. 
go to ladyfootlocker.com and enter the code AFWRK1LF to get 10% off any order of $50 or more. Or enter the code AFWRK2LF to get 15% off any order of $75 or more at ladyfootlocker.com. There's a movement afoot. Shoebuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop Shoebuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. Shoebuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code WORKING, W-O-R-K-I-N-G, at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at Shoebuy.com. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting with Megan Parker today, and we're talking about working dogs for conservation. And right before the break, Megan, um, I wanted to ask you to tell us about some of your innovative projects that you're working on, both in the United States and throughout the world. Well, there's a whole broad array of projects that we have worked on and that we will be working on. And so I'll just do a bit of a sampling as as they come to mind. We've been doing this. We've been an organization since 2000. And so we've really kind of built slowly trying to learn what dogs can do well, and we certainly haven't found anything that they can't do well, so we keep broadening our scope. Uh, this summer, we're going to be working on a couple of nasty plants, weeds that have taken over native uh, prairies in southern Colorado and in Montana, and we're gonna have, we'll have dog teams out searching for these, these plants, one's called yellow star thistle, and it's been a particularly horrible plant in southern Colorado where it, you know, really outcompeted all of these native plants. And it's this thistle that stays on the landscape. You can't even walk by it because it's so prickly. Wildlife won't eat it. And even worse, the horses tend to like it, but it's toxic and it kills them. So it's a very, um, it's, a, it's a plant that everyone would like to see gone from North America. It doesn't belong here. So They've been burning and spraying for over 10 years and haven't gotten rid of it, but we're going to go in with dogs. We've been doing this in Iowa on a wildlife refuge with something called Chinese clover, and it worked really well. So people can't really see, especially in their their young stages, the difference between these plants and other plants, but our dogs can. They go in and smell the difference. So we're able to identify plants or patches of plants that haven't been um, eradicated yet. So we'll go in and flag them when our dogs find them and they'll be able to do a better job at really getting rid of them. We're working on another plant. Um, we're working a little bit on yellow star thistle, which is creeping into Montana and is of concern, but there's another plant called Dyer's Road, which is on the edge of one of our cities called Missoula. And we'll have a team up there every day during the growing season 
trying to get ahead of this plant that's trying to creep up the hills of one of our public spaces here and really try to stamp out this invasive plant. So it's really quite amazing to people watch who watch a dog distinguish among the thousands of plants out there, pick out a little seedling that looks the same to everybody else, but the dog knows that it's the plant that it's trained to find. So that's some of the work we're going to be doing this summer. And we've been doing plant work in the past, and it's really changing people's perceptions of how they can get ahead of these invasive species. We've also worked on invasive species, which is one of our, uh, we focus on three different things, invasive, trying to help eradicate invasive species, defining wildlife corridors where wildlife move across areas, and monitoring wildlife. And some more of our invasive species have been brown tree snakes on Guam. We train teams for the U.S. government to find snakes on Guam, and these are a snake that came over to Guam from Australia in World War II didn't belong on Guam. Guam doesn't have any native snakes. And so this snake came and wiped out a 10, I think, of 10 of 12 native bird species. They went extinct because these snakes just came in. The birds had no idea what a snake was. They would just sit there and the snake came and ate their eggs and ate them. And they wiped out all, all of these native species. And so um, we trained a couple of dog teams to go over and find these arboreal nocturnal snakes. We've also worked in Hawaii, a snail that came from the southeast United States, and it's called a wolf snail, and it cannibalizes some of the native land snails in Hawaii. And people can't find them very well because they live in the leaf litter. So the dogs do these very detailed searches in the leaf litter and can find these tiny, tiny little wolf snails. And um are helping them understand how that invasive species might be controlled. So let's see, let me just think of some more. We work on a number of uh, wide-ranging carnivores. Carnivores are particularly important to understand, especially when they're endangered. They tend to have these very large territories or home ranges. They are often really hard to see and hard to understand what their population might be or how many males versus females there might be or other factors, what they might be eating. And so we train our, have trained our dogs to find mountain lion and grizzly bear, wolf, wolverine, uh, lynx, these scats, so we don't disturb the animals, but we do surveys across these large areas. And from the scats, we can extract genetic information or hormones or diet information. And how do and you so get these projects Megan, are they all grant-funded, or do people come to you with a grant, or do you and your staff write the grants to get the Well, we, we, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. We, people usually come to us by word of mouth. They've heard about us, but they know someone who we've worked with or for, and they ask us to work for them, and we make decisions about how high priority, how high impact this conservation project might be. We often do write grants to help support that conservation project so that we can do the work um, sufficiently to get good information. Um, An example, someone came to us who wants us to work in Cameroon, West Africa, at the end of this year for the most endangered species of ape, great ape, called the Cross River Gorilla. It lives in this tiny area between Cameroon and Nigeria. And they don't see these animals. These animals have declined dramatically because people are cutting down forests and the bushmeat trade. People are killing gorillas and other apes for commercial food. So these 
apes are very shy. They don't want to be seen by humans. And even when people know there are cross-river gorillas, they know, they don't know how many there are. They're, these gorillas do not want to be seen. So we're going to go over, and we're trying to raise the money to help this make this happen at the end of this year because this is expensive. It's expensive to fly us over there. You know, we have to fly over two dogs and two people and work for two months to really, but this will be the best way that anyone can think of to figure out how many gorillas are left and then how many males and how many females, what kind of, how many females are having babies. We can get all that information from their dung. And so the dogs will be working on the ground, picking up and telling us which one is cross river gorilla dung, and then we'll get genetic information. So it's, critically important when you think, wow, this is the last population of the species on the planet. It's a really important thing. Let's just try to help them raise the money to make this happen. So we're currently trying to write grants and raise money to make that happen. And who are you going to for those grants? Are they government grants or private foundations? We usually, we don't, we don't have any government money that we, um, we're not supported by any, any, any government money, but we do get private donations and we do go for, for foundations for grants. So yeah. And we go wherever we think it's appropriate and people that might be concerned with that particular species or how we work dogs to do that. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that you say Cameroon because we actually have a nonprofit organization called Soulful Presence and we do work in Cameroon with several villages that were oh. actually getting equipment, medical equipment to them because so many of the villagers are suffering from polio and from other diseases that we think of as being eradicated, but they're still suffering from them and they don't have any wheelchair equipment and they're literally dragging themselves on the ground because they don't have crutches, they don't have wheelchairs. So I really can appreciate the work you're doing in Cameroon because there is huge, tremendous needs there. And so I can only imagine how much the people are suffering, how much these gorillas are suffering and how they are disappearing because because of all the things that are happening and that are not happening in that area of the world. Yeah, that is it's really interesting and it's a tough thing to do conservation in an area where there's so much human need as well. Um, there's some really important reasons that we need to stop the bushmeat trade because people are, are hunting these gorillas because they're big and they have a lot of meat, but they also carry a lot of diseases that people can get because there's you know, it, the species are just not that far, far apart. And so things like Ebola can spread and other diseases. So it's very important to keep, you know, to help people become healthy and, you know, um, yeah, and give what, whatever what we needs. forget is that one impacts the other. And so it's just as important to help both so that we're helping each other to survive yeah. and, to, and to be healthy and, and to prosper. So... I just really, now that's awesome, and I, I would love to hear more about that project as that evolves and to see how how that goes and when you guys get the data and what, what you discover from that. Yeah, we'll, we'll be working with the North Carolina Zoo and the Wildlife Conservation Society's Cameroon program, and it will be interesting because we'll also be working with communities to try to communicate the importance of conservation, keeping clean forests in a clean environment to help keep people healthy as well as the global of importance of a species like the cross river gorilla. So that yeah, I'll I'll look up the posterities. It's a fascinating part of the world with a lot of need. It is. And how do you prepare the dogs for a trip like that? Do you do any <laughs> additional training or conditioning for them? 
Well, there there definitely will be some of our dogs that are more suited for that. My personal working dog is a he's he's too big <laughs> to ship easily, and he doesn't really like working in the heat, and it's going to be very hot and very humid. And so we'll yes. need dogs that are real heat tolerant, and some dogs are, and some dogs aren't, just like people. So we'll need to know that these dogs um, are fine working in the heat, fine working in humidity, um, fine being shipped in a plane because we'll have to spend a lot of time traveling. And so we'll get them used to that kind of living and make sure we've tested them in as hot and humid a situation as possible. We also need to make sure some of our dogs have some prey drive, meaning that they'll kind of be quick to jump after something that that is uh, fast moving. Um, But we need to make sure that these animals are just really calm, don't have much prey drive. So from our staff of working dogs will select the dogs that are best suited for that work. And we do try to condition them and get them used to as similar a situation as possible. And then once there, we spend some time just getting them acclimated rather than jumping right into a work situation. We spend, we just try to ease the transition. We make sure that they're living in a place where they can get a lot of rest between work bouts and they're safe and secure and um, have happy lives. Yeah, because that confidence and feeling secure is so important. And Mm. I I can't imagine how stressful it will be for them with the heat and the long flight that it will take to get them there. So it it will have to be some pretty special animals that can do that. You know, it's funny, though. um, Most of our dogs are, even though they're very, what people consider high-strung and high-energy dogs, they tend to just take everything in stride. I mean, they always have us at the end of the plane ride. They know their jobs. They have a high degree of security. Uh, And so it's amazing how they can just take all of these new and different situations without being very flustered. It's just a bit of their... um, their nerve strength, you know, they can kind of work in all these different environments. They can work in the desert. They can work around cities. They can do all of these different things because they stay focused and they have their handler to rely on. That is so impressive. That is so impressive. Well, how long does a dog usually work with you? Well, in the short time scale, we we try to choose dogs that are at least a year old so that they're, you know, sort of grown up and ready to go and then they'll have a long... Um, happy working life. Because we live with our dogs, we also are very tuned in to anything that might be going on with them. And we set up our work schedules where uh, we work a dog for three days and then we give the dog a day off. It's really mentally taxing. Physically, it's not as taxing, even though they're long days. But mentally, the dogs are working so hard every day. So we work three days on, one day off, two days on, one day off. And so the dogs are working five days a week, but they have a bit of a break after a kind of an intense couple of work days. And that also gives us the handlers time to catch up and write the reports and do the mapping and, and all of the other things that we do for the projects. And then the dogs, let's see, um, one, of, one of us, Alice, just retired her dog at 13 and a half. And so our dogs are working really long lives. They're working throughout their lives not because we're asking them to, but because they really love it. And so when a dog tells us that they don't want to work on something, it's time for us to let them sleep on the couch for the rest of their retirement. So they work longer lives than most professional working dogs, and we believe very much that living with our dogs allows us to know when they're not feeling well, when they're, you know, when they're something is going on with them that we need to adjust their training or their work or whatever. So they work their whole lives 
because they love it so much. And then when they're, they don't love it or when it, they're blind or deaf or something and it's just not working anymore, they get the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what an amazing career they get to have. I mean, this just sounds really wonderful. And, and I think you really nailed it when you said earlier that not only are you scientists, but you are dog trainers as well, which is just so amazing to, to bridge those two professions together, which you've done so beautifully. And just look at what you're doing as a result of that. So thank you so much for coming on today and, and sharing your knowledge and your program with us and hopefully educating our listeners about the work that you do and educating me for sure. And tell, tell me, Megan, how can our listeners get more information about Working Dogs for Conservation or if they want to make a donation to the Cameroon work or to your other projects? Anyone can look us up on the, on the web. We are www.workingdogsforconservation. That's all one word, workingdogsforconservation.org. So they can find out about our projects, what we're doing now, sign up for our EE newsletters, and um, find out about our great partnerships with other conservation groups. It should be there on our website. Well, that's great. And we will also include that website address on our website about this show so that you, our listeners, can get more information and get involved in supporting Working Dogs for Conservation. So, Megan, thank you so much for being with us today. And please come back again and tell us more about the work that you're doing. I really want to hear about the Cameroon Project as well as all the other exciting things that you're doing for our environment. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having us on the program. I really appreciate it. Well, and thank you, our listeners, for being with us. And thank you so much for your emails and calls. I just love hearing from you. And you can reach me, as you know, by email at marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thanks so much for being with us, and we look forward to visiting with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.